0: And please take your Bibles, turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 21. Matthew chapter 21, we're looking this morning at verses 1 through 11. Hear the Word of God. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, And on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, "'Hosanna to the Son of David!' Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowds said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Pray. Lord, this is your word. Matthew's word, but first and foremost is your word. And Lord, we thank you for the infallible and inerrant record that it is of those events surrounding the ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ. And Father, as we study these words today, we pray that your Holy Spirit would warm our hearts in this early hour uh, with appreciation and understanding of your word and with love to you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus had this tendency... In his ministry, as we've seen studying Matthew, after performing a miracle, healing someone, for instance, after, even after his disciples confessed, you are the Christ, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God, to ask people to remain quiet. Don't, don't go out and tell what I have done for you. Jesus, you are the Messiah. Yes, you're right, but don't tell anybody about that. Jesus' own brothers, we read in John chapter 7, first part of that chapter, were somewhat uh, perplexed by Jesus' behavior. They asked, what, are you going up to the feast in Jerusalem? And Jesus said, no. And they said, well, what's the matter? Anybody who wants to become a public figure, anybody who wants to gather a following, needs to make himself known. No, a politician who is a recluse doesn't get very far. You've got to get out there, Jesus, and get... known. now his brothers didn't believe in him. John notes that. But even they recognized if you're trying to build a following, then you've got to go out there and be where the people are. You've got to get known. You've got to get publicity. You've got to get your name and your face out there. Don't tell anybody, Jesus said, that I am the Messiah. But... Now, as he is entering the city of Jerusalem, that changes. Changes because of the reason that Jesus wanted people to remain silent. Jesus recognized that people had the wrong idea about the Messiah. And if he became known uh, for what he was doing and certainly for claims to be the Messiah, it could stir up all kinds of wrong activity, wrong fervor that really could uh, disrupt or derail his ministry as it was meant to be carried out. But now, as Jesus enters the city of Jerusalem, it really doesn't matter. And in fact, as we see in this passage, some of the very same things that Jesus was concerned about earlier in his ministry take place, and he allows them to take place in this so-called triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Now, we've been tracing Jesus' path as he's moved from Galilee in the north toward Jerusalem in the south, headed toward Passover, headed toward the cross, where he himself was the Passover lamb. Matthew records all kinds of things that have happened along the way, but there are other things that he doesn't record that the other gospel writers do. For example, in Jericho, Matthew records how Jesus healed the eyes of the two blind men, But Luke records how it was there in Jericho that Jesus encountered Zacchaeus. You're familiar with that story. Uh, And here, as Jesus approaches Bethphage and the town of Bethany, around the Mount of Olives, just east of the city of Jerusalem, uh, that uh, the other gospel writers record how Jesus stayed with his friends Martha and Mary and Lazarus in Bethany. And in fact, before the triumphal entry, as John tells us, they held a dinner in his honor in their home. So Jesus apparently was in Bethany, in Bethphage, Bethany area, outside Jerusalem for a short time before this actually took place, before he went into the, into the city of Jerusalem. But now he's entering his final week. Now you say, well, preacher, we're in chapter 21. Matthew goes to chapter 28. You're saying it's his final week, but... Now we've got eight more chapters to go. Well, Matthew zooms in on that final week and especially some of Jesus' teaching in the city of Jerusalem in that final week of his life. So yes, the last eight chapters of Matthew are taken up with what happened that final week in Jerusalem leading up to Jesus' death and of course, his resurrection. But today we have this approach into an entry into the city of Jerusalem. And the emphasis here, as the reception indicates, is on the kingship of Jesus. Now, traditionally, this is a Palm Sunday text. Well, it's obviously not quite yet Palm Sunday. I pondered ways to stretch it out, to delay getting to this passage, but it just didn't work out. But that's okay. We're following the Scriptures, not the liturgical calendar. But the emphasis on Palm Sunday, as with this passage, typically is on the kingship Of Jesus. And that's true. You know, we, in our catechism, acknowledge Jesus to hold the offices of prophet, priest, and king. But, as this passage and as all of Scripture indicates, Jesus is a king, but he is a king like no other. Jesus is a king like no other. King ever has been or after Jesus' time would be. Well, how? Well, this passage shows us something about that kingship of Jesus, particularly its uniqueness. First of all, Jesus was a king like no other in terms of his sheer humility. We see this in the the very manner that he enters the city of Jerusalem. It says that they came near and Jesus sent two disciples. We don't know who they were, although in another case, uh, in John, Jesus, in another instance, sends uh, Peter and John to go take care of some business. We don't know if they were the two who went here. It just doesn't say. But he instructs them to go into the village in front of you, and immediately you'll find a donkey tied and the colt with her. Untie them, bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. Now, that's exactly what happened. The question is: Was this an act of supernatural knowledge on Jesus' part, or was this something prearranged? Um, my, my my bias has always been toward this being a supernatural occurrence that Jesus knew there would be this donkey. That when the disciples said the Lord has need of them. That they would say, "Well, okay, that's fine, uh, perhaps inexplicably um, and that that could well be the case, although as I've studied it more, you know the the thought that this was something arranged is a possibility, and it does not in any way detract from Jesus' power or his supernatural knowledge It, it may be in this case that was something arranged, especially if he'd been in Bethany just outside the city of Jerusalem for more than just the time it took to pass through, to have set up an arrangement. However, I guess I'm still inclined toward, if I had to pick one, that this was something Jesus knew and uh, and had arranged it, much as, you know, he told Peter to go fish. And when you catch a fish, there'll be a coin in his mouth and take that coin and pay the temple tax for both of us. Well, the Lord has need of it. It would simply be enough, apparently, that the uh, those asking about the donkey would release the donkey, and uh, he would send them at once. And Matthew characteristically notes, as he does, as he likes to do, that this was a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. The quotation there indicating that the king of the daughter of Zion, the people of Jerusalem, uh, people of Israel basically, uh, would come to them. But he would come to them in an unusual way. Now, typically, as people would receive a king, they would receive him with great fanfare, and the king himself would come in all pomp and circumstance to look as impressive and mighty as powerful uh, as possible. And this would be the case, for example, after victory, when crowds would go out to welcome the king in. Well, in this case, the prophecy said your king will come to you humble, mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. This would not be impressive. This, this would be the animal of a farmer, of perhaps a merchant, but not the gallant war horse of a mighty conquering king. Why would Jesus do that? Well, for one thing, that it was prophesied. Jesus was well acquainted with the prophecy. He knew that that was indicating the nature by which the Messiah would come to his people. But also, it was meant to convey a message. Even though Jesus allowed the people to acclaim him as a king, he wanted to symbolically indicate that even then, his kingship was different. That he was a man of peace. That he came in humility. That he wasn't just the king, he was the suffering servant. And so it must have been something of a, of a, of a jarring picture to see the kind of acclaim, the enthusiasm, the roar of the crowds, and yet Jesus was riding on this this humble animal. Jesus was a king like no other in the depth of his humility. And again, simply reflecting what he said earlier in chapter 20, verse 28, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. The disciples went as did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey, the colt. They put them on their cloaks, and he sat on them. Sat on the cloaks, not the animals. Scholars, skeptical scholars, have sometimes sort of ridiculed Matthew, you know, saying he sat on them. He sat on the animal. How could he ride two animals at once? But well, give Matthew some credit for some measure of intelligence here. The, the, the them refers to the cloaks. They put the cloaks on, and he sat on the cloaks on on the animal. And so then we read in verse 8, most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road. So we see he's a king like no other in terms of his humility. We see that he is a king like no other also in terms of his mission. Jesus approaches the city and we read how this, this crowd built up, how... The, the noise, the fervor, the, the hubbub built and increased. We read in verse 8, The crowd spread their cloaks on the road. Others cut branches from the trees, spread them on the road. The palms, hence Palm Sunday, we're told uh, in John that they were palm branches, and spread them on the road before him. This is a royal greeting, a royal reception. As Jesus finally gets something of the acclaim, That was his due. And the people begin to cry out, welcoming him. It's a large crowd, because there's not only the crowd of people who had accompanied Jesus, who travelled with Jesus to the city, but we also read in the other gospels that there were people who came out from the city. So there were people both before him and behind him, and they paved his way with their own coats, and with the palm branches laid down before him. And they they hail him with these messianic titles. Hosanna to the Son of David. Hosanna, a word that at least at one point meant something like save, save us, God, save, probably by this point had simply become a word of praise, much like hallelujah or hallelujah, uh, which is Hebrew, it's a Hebrew sentence. It means praise the Lord, hallelujah, praise the Lord. Well, we just, you know, people say, oh, hallelujah, just, you know, praise. I'm excited. And that may be what Hosanna has come to. But it is a, it's a, it's an exclamation of excitement, of praise, of honor to the son of David. Again, messianic title. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Who comes in the name of the Lord? Again, the Messiah. Hosanna in the highest. And so the crowd is acknowledging Jesus as the Messiah, which was of some concern to the authorities. However, we, we read that they, they kind of kept a hands-off approach to Jesus because of the people, because of the people's opinion of him. They held him to be a prophet, and they didn't want to stir up violence by trying to seize Jesus or do something to him. But again, uh, boldly, clearly, Jesus acknowledged as the Messiah. uh, Hosanna to the Son of David, the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Now it's out in the open. Now Jesus is allowing to take place what he did not want to take place earlier in his ministry. But now the crowd acclaims him as he enters the capital to be the Son of David, to be the one who comes in the name of the Lord, to be the Messiah. The mission He came to accomplish, though was not exactly the one that people had in mind, as you know. Jesus came to conquer, indeed, but not the Romans' sin. Much more enslaving power than Rome could ever have been. He came to defeat death, a much more fierce opponent than Rome could ever be. But they acclaim him as the Messiah. They recognize the mission, that he is the Messiah, that he has come. He's entering the capital city to accomplish a mission. So he's a king like no other because of the depth of his humility, because of the nature of his mission, the mission he came to accomplish. But also he is a king like no other because of his identity. As Jesus comes into the city, people are talking. the, The buzz is running. Who is this? minds want to know. Now, they were somewhat familiar with Jesus. Jesus had been in the city before. And there had been things that had taken place. So there was some familiarity with Jesus, although I suspect among many of the leaders, among many of the uh, even religious leaders, Jesus, this provincial someone from somewhere, uh, may not have registered too, too high on the, on the city's notice well, now, with all of this acclaim, with all of this activity, uh, people are beginning to talk. It says in verse 10, when he entered Jerusalem, he's he's come into the city. The whole city was stirred up. Uh, it was shaken. The word is a word used for the effects of an earthquake. It was shaken. It was in turmoil. Might be a better way to put it, because it stirred up, maybe a little too mild for What Matthew is trying to communicate here, Jesus made quite the splash when he entered the city of Jerusalem. And people were talking, they were asking, who is this? We've encountered that question before. In Matthew and Mark, when Jesus stills the storm, remember on the Sea of Galilee, a storm that blew up fiercely and suddenly, and he calms it with just a word, the disciples are left sort of gasping for breath and saying, who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? Well, here again, this question pops up. Who is this? Because that's what Matthew wants us to be asking. That's the question that we have to answer and the people answer. Who is this? And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Now, uh, you may detect, especially among those who had accompanied Jesus from Galilee, some hint of regional pride there. This is Jesus. He's the prophet from Nazareth. He's from Galilee. Gal- Galilee, you can't say he's from Galilee. Now come into the city of Jerusalem. Well, what do we make of their answer? Well, it, it was correct. It was a correct answer. And in fact, there's some thought that when they say this is the prophet, Jesus, that there's an echo of of an old text, an old passage in Deuteronomy 18, where Moses speaks of a prophet who is to come, who will be like Moses. He was the prophet who was to come, the prophet to end all prophets, the prophet uh, before whom all the other prophets were just sort of a, a shadow of what was to come. Was that what was on their minds? Well, if so, they were right on. Because Jesus was not only a king, Jesus was a prophet. Jesus was the prophet who was to come, who would be like Moses. In fact, who would be greater than Moses. And that was saying a lot among the Jews. This is the prophet, Jesus, Savior. Now, that was not an uncommon name, but... Remember, that echoes back to uh, Matthew chapter 1, where the angel tells Joseph, if you were to give him the name Jesus, he will save his people from their sins. This is the prophet. This is Jesus. He is from Nazareth of Galilee. Now, interesting that that was, even in his acclaim, where he was acknowledged as being from. And he was. He was known as being from Nazareth. But you'll remember that also caused some problems among the crowd. Remember also in John chapter 7, when people were debating Jesus, saying, well, who is this guy? You know, what, what's, what is it with him? Can, can, it, can, it, can the Messiah come out of Galilee? Look at it. You'll, you'll find no text that says the Messiah comes out of Galilee. Everybody knows the Messiah is going to be born in Bethlehem in Judea. Well, <laughs> yes. And where was Jesus born? In Bethlehem. However, he was known as a Nazarene. He lived in Nazareth, grew up there, and even here, even near the end of his death, there's still the understanding Jesus is from Nazareth without the knowledge, apparently, that Jesus was from Bethlehem. Or else more would have been made of that. This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Well, what do we make of this? Well, I suggest a couple of things. First of all, Beware of fleeting enthusiasm. The session knows, I don't like bandwagons. You know, the way a church grows, the the way a church moves forward is through week in, week out, ministry of word and sacrament. You know, all too often churches and Christians get excited about this new new thing that's come along. Maybe it's a movie, maybe it's this or that, or a program that's going to be the thing that... Turn the church around. The thing that wins the world to Jesus. And it comes and people get excited and ask me, well, why didn't you go see the movie? Why aren't you doing this? Or, you know, and, and then it goes. you know, And eventually the next big thing comes along. Well, for many of these people, this was the bandwagon. It would not be very long at all before some, perhaps, of these same people were shouting, crucify him. From Hosanna to crucify him. You know, Jesus warned in the parable of the sower, of the seed in shallow soil that just springs up, grows, looks great, but very quickly it fades because it had no root. There was no root. There was no life. There was no true spiritual rebirth. If anything, this passage teaches us it's to beware of the fickleness, not just of the crowds, but of our own heart. Beware of a fleeting enthusiasm about Jesus. Maybe you had an experience. Maybe you had a moving experience or uh, event that really stirred you up, got you excited about Jesus. But is that fading? Do you find your enthusiasm beginning to diminish? Do you find that you're beginning to grow interested in other things? This passage warns us to beware the fickleness of our own heart and make sure we're not just following Jesus because others are or because we're excited about the circumstances, or because we had some emotional experience, or anything else. There were many in that crowd who acclaimed Jesus, who never knew Jesus, and were never saved by Jesus. The other thing that we need to be aware of is inadequate knowledge, not just fleeting enthusiasm, but inadequate knowledge. The people's knowledge of Jesus was accurate, but inadequate. The prophet, Jesus, from Nazareth of Galilee, certainly is is a high title, certainly indicates high regard on the part of the people. But it didn't go far enough. This wasn't just the prophet, Jesus, from Nazareth in Galilee. This was the Son of God from heaven itself who has come to be the Savior of his people. And not merely to know Jesus adequately in terms of head knowledge, but in full biblical sense of that term, to be in relationship with him, to have a real and vital and living relationship with Jesus that goes beyond just intellectual understanding. That's what's called for. Among too many in this crowd... There was simply fleeting enthusiasm, caught up in the moment. There was inadequate knowledge with no real understanding of Jesus and certainly no real relationship to Jesus. Yes, Jesus is the king, once and future king. He is the prophet who came declaring the word of God. In fact, it was God himself in the flesh. And he was the priest who just days from now would offer himself up as the sacrifice to atone for the sins of his people. question is, is Jesus your prophet? Is he your priest? Is he your king? Let's pray. Father, we would have Jesus as our prophet, priest, and king. Father, help us to know our own hearts. Show us our own hearts. Father, are we merely caught up in fleeting enthusiasm, like this crowd was, that we're here because our husband is here. We're here because our wife comes. We're here because our parents come and bring us with them. Are we here, Lord, because we love you? Because we bow the knee to your kingship, Father? Help us to know who you are. Help us, Lord Jesus, to understand who you are. Holy Spirit, to know you. Not just with a notional knowledge, just ideas in our head. To know you with our heart. To obey your word. To bow to your kingship. To trust in you as our sacrifice for our sins. Because we want to. Because we love you. Because we know who you are. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.